Imagine for a second what that day will be when all the saints are gathered around Christ's throne to sing his praises. Even as we lift our praises this morning and we are ministered by God's saints, singing it as well with my soul. In the interim, as we wait, as we long for that glorious return, as we think about the destruction and the curse of sin, and we sing, Christ is victorious. My sin, oh the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Well, this morning as we continue to worship, I invite you to open up in your copy of God's Word to 1 John chapter 2. We're going to be looking this morning at verses 29 in 1 John chapter 2, as well as verse 1 through 3 in 1 John chapter 3. And as you turn there, let us turn to the Lord one more time in a word of prayer as we ask Him to be here together with us as we open His Word. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful this morning for your grace. We're so thankful this morning that all that we declare is true. That we are not misguided this morning. That we are not believing in fairy tales or falsities. But that as we sing and as we read and as we pray, we pray truth. We pray reality. You have been so gracious to give us the reality of all things in your word. And so this morning, even as we consider 1 John chapter 2 and chapter 3, would you help us to believe this reality? Would you help us to set aside that sin which once plagued our hearts? And would we believe deep down in our souls that we are righteous even as Christ is? is righteous, that one day we will stand before his glorious throne and all of our sins will be placed on the cross and we will stand clothed in Christ's righteousness. But even now, as we live, we have the promise of eternal life. We have the promise that we are God's children We have the promise that Jesus is working in and through us through the Spirit, the righteousness that He requires from all men. We're so thankful. Would you impress that upon our hearts this morning? And we pray this in your Son's name. Amen. Well, as I trust, I I trust that as we read through the words found in Matthew chapter 5, that many of you began to squirm a bit in your seats. You see, Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 5, verse 48, is intended to arrest our attention. They are words that speak to God's fullest and highest intentions for all of humanity. Listen to it again, Matthew chapter 5, verse 48. You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. These are words that are picked up by the rest of the apostles as they think about the ramifications of the good news of Christ. Listen to what the apostle Peter says over in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 14, language that is very similar to our passage for this morning. Peter says, As obedient children, 
Do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all of your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Hear this, beloved. God's desire for us is to be holy even as he is holy. Every man, woman, and child are obligated to keep God's law perfectly. A while back, we spent some time memorizing through the New City Catechism. And notice, if you would, in the insert insert in your bulletin, question 7 from that catechism. It says this, What does the law of God require? The answer, personal, perfect, and perpetual obedience. That we love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love our neighbors as ourselves. What God forbids should never be done, and what God commands should always be done. If this is God's desire for us, then why, when we hear those words from Matthew chapter 5, is it so alarming to us? Well, if we know our Bibles, then we know that none of us will ever be able to live up to this strict standard. What we know is if we know our Bibles that Paul says in Romans chapter 3, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And we also know, if we know our Bibles, that the reason that we fall short of God's glorious and righteous character and standard is because of what Paul says over in Romans chapter 3, verses 9 through 18, where he says, Then what then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouths are full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. Verse 18, there is no fear of God before their eyes. You see, beloved, every one of us, born after the likeness of Adam, are cursed with not only sinful behavior, but with sinful desires from which that behavior proceed. We are born into this world with a nature that is always and perpetually and even perfectly opposed to the will and desires of God. All of us this morning, if we are born into this world, which means all of us are born with a proclivity toward our own wants, our own needs, and our own desires. 
We are all born as kings and queens of our own kingdoms. You see, being sourced in Adam causes us to produce unrighteousness. The reason that Matthew chapter 5 is so alarming is because we all know, we all know this morning that we will never be able to measure up to such an exacting standard. And so we go back to our catechism, question 15. Since no one can keep the law, what is its purpose? Answer, that we may know the holy nature and will of God and the sinful nature and disobedience of our hearts, and thus our need of a Savior. The law also teaches and exhorts us to live a life worthy of our Savior. You see, the law shows us both the perfection of God's character and the depravity of our own. And it also shows us this morning that we are all in need of a Savior. It shows us this morning that that Savior is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, perfectly righteous. Last week we began to unpack what it means in 1 John to abide in Christ. John presents to us over the next several verses the benefits or results of abiding in Christ. I trust that you have your Bibles open to 1 John chapter 2. Notice this with me in verse 28. Verse 28 says this. It says, And now, little children, Abide in him so that. What we noticed last week is that that so that is a purpose cause and it shows the goal of an action and therefore its results. And what we saw in our time together is that the result, at least one of the results of abiding in Christ is that we will have confidence on that great day. What we know about the coming judgment is that it is a day of reckoning for those who reject Jesus Christ and therefore are outside of Christ. But it is also a day of consolation and celebration for those who have embraced Jesus by faith and therefore find themselves in Christ. You see, beloved, the good news of the gospel is is that God addresses our dilemma of being perfectly righteous by sending Jesus Christ so that we might stand before him on that great day with confidence, our sins being covered by the blood of the Lamb. But just so we're not mistaken this morning, that is not the only reason Jesus came to earth. Confidence in Christ is not the only result of Jesus being our Savior. It is not the only grace of abiding in Christ. 
Jesus requires perfect righteousness and he provides that righteousness both through his sacrifice on the cross, but also in his work of regeneration and his abiding presence in those who believe by the indwelling Spirit of God. Notice what John goes on to say as he gives us the second result or goal of abiding in Christ in 1 John chapter 2, verse 29. He says this, If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. You see, what we learn in this text is that our current condition is sourced in who Jesus is and what he has done for us. Hear this, beloved, and take great consolation in it. Jesus Christ is our righteousness. That is to say that he secures our justification but he also works in us his righteous character through the Spirit so that we might walk even as he walked. What an encouraging reality this morning. What great news. Jesus' work of salvation is certain and complete. Those who have been born of Christ will practice righteousness because they find their source in Christ who is righteous. Our righteous behavior is sourced in his righteousness. What John does here is he sets up for us an argument from necessity. You see, if we know one thing to be a certain way, then that necessitates that that which comes from that thing will also be that way. Notice again what he says in 1 John chapter 2, verse 29. He says, if you know that Greek word there is oida, that is absolute uh, and, and ob- uh, um, objective truth, if you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. John identifies the source and then identifies the product of that source. It's like looking at a cat and knowing where that cat came from. You see, every cat has cat parents. We don't look at a cat and wonder, well, maybe that cat came from a dog. Or maybe that cat is the very spawn of Satan himself. Just kidding. (laughs) Kind of. I just ostracized all the cat people in the room. Faith absolutely is one of them. You should see the look on her face. When we look at a cat, we say, oh, that cat came from perfectly beautiful and lovely cat parents, right? Is that better, Faith? You see, we know that a cat comes from a cat. Why? Because every cat has indistinguishable features of a cat. 
And the same could be true, beloved, of the children of God. Those who are born of Jesus ought to have indistinguishable characteristics of Jesus Christ himself. And one of those characteristics is that we should act righteously even as he is righteous. And this promise is not only for our status or position before him. It's also a promise for our condition. You see, we have been born again in Christ if we believe in Christ. And therefore, being born of Christ, we ought to necessarily produce the acts of righteousness which characterize Christ. You see, we are what we are because of Christ and we do what we do because of Christ. Those who have been born in him will practice righteousness because he is righteous. Notice it again in our text, 1 John chapter 2, verse 29. It says, if you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. Let's take those two statements together this morning, or sorry, separately this morning, and let's consider the first one, if you're following along in the insert in your bulletin. The first thing that we see in our text this morning is that Jesus is righteous. Jesus is righteous. If you know that he is righteous, John makes an if-then statement here. It assumes the reality of the first to secure the reality of the second. If we know that Jesus is righteous, and we do, then we may be sure that those who are born of Christ will practice righteousness. And we certainly know that Jesus is righteous. John's assertion here speaks to the nature of Jesus' person as the God-man. You see, not only was Christ righteous in his divinity and therefore not able to sin because he is holy, but he was also righteous in his humanity and that he faced the brunt of temptation and always overcame because he was the perfect union of both divinity and humanity. Notice what John says a little further down in 1 John chapter 3, verse 5. He says this, you know that he appeared in order to take away sins. We'll look at that statement next week. And in him there is no sin. We saw a few weeks ago in Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15. That we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. But one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. What we learn from John and the rest of the apostles is that in Jesus we find the perfect convergence of holiness and humanity. And this righteous character manifested itself in Jesus' desire to do all that the Father commanded him. Notice this in John chapter 6 verse 38 which you can find on the insert in your bulletin. John chapter 6, verse 38 says this, For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, 
but the will of him who sent me. John chapter 8, verse 28. So Jesus said to them, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He, and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And He who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to Him. What we see in John's gospel is the very same principle that we see in his epistle. Jesus was righteous and therefore his actions were righteous. Jesus loved the Father wholly and without reservation and therefore his desire was always to please the Father without compromise and without restriction and therefore Jesus always produced perfect obedience to God's will. We find in 1 John chapter 2 and John chapter 6 and John chapter 8 is that the source always determines the product. Now that's an important concept in order for us to understand sanctification. And so I want you to store that away in the memory banks of your mind. The source always determines the product. And what we see is that Jesus was perfectly obedient because the source always determines the product and therefore he was perfectly righteous. His actions were a product of his character. And what we notice in our text is that this production is reproduced in in God's people. If we have been born of Jesus, then we are righteous even as he is righteous because he is our source of life. If you're following along in the insert of your bulletin, notice with me that second reality that we find in our text is not only is Jesus righteous, but Jesus' people will be righteous. Jesus' people will be righteous. Notice the language that the Holy Spirit uses here in 1 John chapter 2, verse 29, going into chapter 3, verse 1, because it's very important for us to understand. Notice what he says in verse 29. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. And then he gives us this principle in verse 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. What is this text saying to us this morning? It's saying to us that those who have been born of God will look like God morally in their conduct because they are children of God. And that the reason why the world does not recognize the children of God is because they are not children of God. If we are born of God, then we will look like God in our actions. It's always a 
source of curiosity to me when people think who my children look like. We were at Snowglow yesterday and we were talking with a friend and she was commenting on how most of my kids, aside from a few of them, look like me. But I've heard other comments that most of my kids look like Sarah. But you know what I've never heard in a conversation like that? That any of my kids look like the Murphys. You see, Murphy kids look like Murphy kids, and Schaefer kids look like Schaefer kids, and Raup kids look like Raup kids, because they are biological children of their biological parents, and therefore they come from the source of their parents. And therefore they look like those from whom they came. The source always determines the product. What is John saying to us here in our passage? Well, this is what he's saying to us. We should be able, beloved, to tell who are God's children because they look like God, their heavenly Father. Just like Jesus was one with the Father and therefore mimicked God's moral characteristics and actions, so now those who have been born of God will resemble God and His, re- and His actions. That is a reality. The source determines the product. Here we see that the product of righteousness in God's people is the result of Jesus' righteous production in his humanity, and therefore he now becomes the source of our righteous behavior because in Christ we have been grafted as our spiritual source and head. We learned this a few weeks ago, maybe even months ago now. Jesus identified with us so that we can identify with him. God's desire is that his people will be holy. And he has made holiness possible in his people by attaching them to his son who is absolutely holy. We ought to look like our Father in heaven because we have been born of Christ. Beloved, hear this. Those who have drank from the fountain of living water, that is Jesus Christ himself, should show in their actions the benefits of that eternal life. Jesus is our spirit. Source. He is our fountainhead, and as we trust in Him and remain in Him, then our lives will begin to look like Christ. We will walk even as He walked. You see, because the source always determines the product. What we have to remember in this text, and let me remind you, is that this reality is tied to a condition. And what is that condition? That condition is that we are to remain in Christ. 
We are to abide in Him. Just like the first purpose statement was tied to a condition, so this too is tied to this condition. John says at the head of this passage, abide in Christ. How are we to see the righteousness of Christ grow and become prominent prominent in our conduct? Well, we must abide in Christ. We learn from John, hear this, that we have been born of God. We learn from John and hear this, that we have the righteousness of Christ dwelling within us because God's Spirit dwells in us. We learn from John, hear this, that we are to produce righteous living because the same Spirit of Christ, like living water, supplies the life-giving force to produce righteousness. But in order to grow in righteousness, we must abide in Christ. You see, John also introduces to us this morning another important concept for our sanctification. That is our growing in holiness before the Lord. What John does for us here in this text is that he shows us that all those who have been born of Christ have two sources. We are not only reborn in Christ, but we are also born in Adam. We have two spiritual lineages, so to speak. We have two fountainheads from which we can draw. One is corrupt and depraved, and the other one is righteous and holy. And we live in the interim between our salvation being inaugurated and it being fully realized. Notice what John goes on to say in 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. Notice it with me. He says, What kind of love, see what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God and So we are, don't miss that, beloved, it's so important, we are God's children. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him. Because we shall see him even as he is. Verse 3. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself even as he is pure. Here's the reality that John is getting at here. We are God's children now. But that spiritual heritage will not be fully realized until he returns. And therefore, we live in the already, but the not yet. And we long for the day when Christ returns, and we will be glorified, and the presence of sin will be no more. But as we live now here on this earth, we are confident that the penalty of sin has been done away with, and the power of sin has been broken. You see, we live in this suspended time 
of what is and what will be. We are always looking forward and looking back. We live constantly dealing with these two sources and therefore two products. Those who are in Christ have been given a new source to produce righteousness, but they must remain or abide in that source. They must identify with Christ, embrace all that Christ has done for them, and submit to his life-giving reality in their lives. You see, how we act determines or is determined by what source we identify with. If we identify with the old, we will produce the old. If we identify with the new, we will produce the new. If we are blinded by sin and that old man that's corrupt and immoral continues to live his life in and through us, then our lives will look just as they always have looked. But if we are diligent, beloved, to believe and embrace and submit to all that Christ has done for us, then we will continue to grow in holiness. What we learn in our passage, beloved, is that Jesus is righteous and therefore he produces righteousness. And those who have been born of God are now his children and will resemble their father and their brother in this life. And this is done as we abide in the source of that life, which is Jesus Christ. Now, I want to spend some time next week really unpacking this reality and getting into some practical aspects of what it means to live in Christ or to identify with Christ and to identify with Adam. But what I want us to be certain of this morning is that those who have been born of God will resemble God because they have God's life in them. And what the scripture is calling us to is to constantly and diligently identify with who Christ is. If you are in Christ, you can trust that Jesus will produce his righteous character in your life as you abide in him. Now let me give you just a a word of challenge this morning. If you are here this morning and you find yourself not producing righteous character and you are a believer this morning, what you must do, even as the apostles call us to do, you must put off the old man. You must put to death all of those fleshly attributes that were once true of you and dominated your flesh. You must believe in Christ afresh this morning and see Christ reproduce his life in your life and in your actions. But if you are here this morning and you have no desire for what Christ desires, if you are here this morning and your actions do not resemble at all Christ's actions, then maybe this morning the Lord is calling you to repent of your sin and trust in Christ for the first time. 
Maybe he's calling you this morning to abandon all hope in your natural abilities and your natural self and to throw yourself on the all-sufficiency of Jesus Christ to save you, not only from the penalty of your sin, which he certainly will do so, but also from the power of your sin and one day from the presence of your sin. May we all trust in Christ more and more as we continue to live our lives in light of what he has done, what he is doing, and what he will do. Let's pray this morning. Father, we are so thankful for your grace to us this morning. Father, we pray that you would continue to work in us righteousness, that as we go about our days we would see the life of Christ manifested in our words and in our thoughts and in our actions more so than they were manifested when we first believed. Father, and if we are here this morning and we do not believe or trust in Christ, would your spirit come and convict us of our sin? Would he come and enliven us and regenerate us so that our desires would be in alignment with Christ's desires and our actions would be in alignment with Christ's actions? Father, would you, through Christ, produce holiness in and through us as we trust in him for our salvation and for our righteousness? We're so thankful for it and we pray this in your name.